This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. How quickly we make assumptions that can just hang us out to dry. And it's because of that that it's important that we pay attention sometimes to what's really going on around us. And so, as a, as a, this, there's no extra charge for this this morning. Uh, we want to give you a little kind of a, 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 a little checkup, a little uh, booster shot uh, to get you paying attention. Now, I've already talked about attention a couple times. So, so you're already tuning in, right? You're catching my subtle hints, okay? So... You're, you, now, now your spidey sense is going, okay? We would like to provide this public service announcement. Okay, now some of you have seen that before, and some of you knew to look for it. When I was going to uh, Dallas Seminary, uh, Dr. Howard Hendricks uh, found access to this archive of FBI training f- videos. Or fil- they weren't videos back then. They were films. And uh, they, they would have scene after scene after scene after scene, dozens of them. And it, they were actual FBI training films. They looked like G-Men in these old pictures, these movies. And all kinds of things would be going on. And they used them constantly, testing these uh, agents' uh, ability to be aware of their surroundings. And the truth of the matter is, all of us fail. We fail miserably when we're trying. And when we don't know to try, we're just... So gullible, aren't we? Now, it's, it's okay. I mean, if you miss one or two moonwalking bears, that's not a big deal. But there are other things that are important, even life-changing, especially as we talk about the gospel and what we do as followers of Jesus. Now, we started talking about this actually several weeks ago before the men's retreat, and then this was sort of part of what we talked about while we were together at the men's retreat, and I want to share some of that with you. And then Nick did a great job last week basically talking about this from that perspective of whether we are fans or followers. It's really interesting when he was telling me about introducing this concept to our students. And as they talked about all of what it means to be a fan, and boy, they were, they were swallowing it hook, line, and sinker. Yeah, yeah. And, and they really thought, like, that's, that's it. I just, I want to be a fan of Jesus. Yes. Uh, and then he started talking about the difference between a fan and a follower. And their whole demeanor changed. Like, oh, didn't even occur to me. So the truth of the matter is, there could be a difference between what Jesus meant when he said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. There could be a difference between what he meant when he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Between that and what we think we're doing even this morning. Issues of faith are declining in large sections of our country. We know that. The culture is kind of shifting. I don't get panicked about that. I'm reminded that a group of a few hundred disciples ended up by turning Rome on its ear and the world upside down. I'm not worried about what culture does, and I want to encourage you not to wring your hands. But I will say this. A lot of the folks who are still involved in faith issues 
think even on a Sunday morning. They are doing what Jesus told them to do. And I just want to ask you this question. Not about them, about us. Is this what he had in mind? If you have a Bible, I'm going to encourage you to, to grab it and open it to Matthew 16. I'm going to need some help here because it's not... There we go. Matthew 16. We're going to start in Luke 9, but that, you don't have to turn there. I'll just tell you the story. And then we'll skip over to Matthew 16. Uh, some of you know that our motto here at Crossroads is to help people on, on their journey toward knowing and following Jesus. We print it on everything. We repeat it all the time because it's simple and true. That's why we exist, helping people on their journey toward knowing and following Jesus. So I guess this morning I would simply say, does it say know and or follow? So in Luke 9, we hear this story. We're reading along Luke's account of Jesus' life. And Jesus has chosen the 12. He's been teaching them. And now in Luke 9, he sends the 12 disciples out with real specific instructions about where to go, what to do, what to say. They're taking this gospel of the kingdom out to surrounding areas. And apparently they did a good job because even Herod heard what was going on. He started scratching his head and said, who is this person that they're talking about? I, I already beheaded John, so who could it be? So it even got to Herod's ears. So they made a pretty big impact. They, they finally returned to Jesus, and they begin to tell him everything that goes on. And, and then Jesus says, okay, Come on now, now that you guys have been doing ministry and you've been working hard, let's try to get away. And so he, he tries to go camping. <laughs> well, not, well, probably. He tries to get them away, and so they go away to a solitary place, and don't you know, the crowds follow them. All these people are coming. And so with all these people here wanting to hear more from Jesus, they run into that problem of there's no place to get food. Nick did a great job with this last week. Noticing how Jesus gave his disciples an opportunity to succeed, to pass the examination. Have you learned what I've been saying? And the answer for them was not in the slightest. <laughs> and since Nick did such a good job, we don't have to talk a lot about that, except to say, Jesus, after he's done shaking his head, like, you guys... Okay, give me the loaves, the fish. Here we go. He prays. Baskets full of leftovers. They were supposed to learn something. And at that point now, I want to switch our, our attention to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 15. So in that setting, everyone has been chatting and talking. There's probably a little bit of a time gap, actually, between the feeding of the 5,000 and this. But it's in that context. And Jesus turns to the disciples and says, uh, he says, hey, when you're out there amongst all those folks, who are they saying that they think I am? And you know, well, some are saying Elijah, and some say one of the prophets, and whatever it is. Okay, that's all interesting. And then he asks this perceptive question in verse 15. But what about you, he asked? Who do you say that I am? Now, we all know that Peter answered. I just want to point out that he answered first, just the way he was wired. Some of you are wired like that. I am, unfortunately. So he blurts out, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. 
And remember, Jesus replies, way to go. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood. We should pause there for a minute. What, what Jesus is saying is he didn't look like Jesus, whatever you think he looked like. He didn't look like the Messiah, whatever they thought he would look like. You wouldn't pick up that he was Messiah just by looking at him. But my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, and you know that the, 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 word, the name Peter is similar to this word Petros, rock. Peter, the rock, I will build my church. I, don't think, I do not think that he was saying he's going to build the church on Peter. I know Catholicism has that idea, and from that comes this idea of the Pope. I have nothing against the Pope. He seems like a nice guy. But I'm going to say that what Jesus is saying is it's this statement of Peter's that the church is built on, that he is the Messiah. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Wow. Score. Peter opens his mouth, and he doesn't stick his foot in it for a change. You got to celebrate that. I mean, Peter's like a spiritual rock star. Well, okay, it was a little pun, but anyway, he's a rock star. He, he, what, all the other disciples are like, show off, right? Thomas is thinking, I don't know, I don't think so, I don't know, I don't think so. And then Matthew tells us something interesting. He says, and from that time, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised, be raised to life. Hmm. As soon as Peter made this pronouncement, Jesus started explaining. And, and the idea here is that he didn't say it once. He explained it over and over and over, and reminded them, and reminded them, and reminded them, this is where we're going. This is what's going to happen. You just said, I'm the Messiah. To finish fulfilling the role of the Messiah, this is what has to happen. Now, when you read this passage, you kind of get the sense that what, what Peter says next, he just reacts to like the first time he hears it. And although that isn't impossible, because he certainly spoke up right away, I tend to think that he's been hearing this message for a while now because there is a certain exasperation in his voice. But in any case, in verse 22, eventually Peter just has had enough of this. And he took him, that's Jesus, aside. And he began to rebuke him. Uh, what? You ever wish God would give you just a little success? You wonder why he doesn't give you success? This could be a reason. <laughs> Because you give somebody a little success and then they think they know better than you. The wording here is, is kind of strong. That's why you use the, the translators use the word rebuke. It's like, wait a minute, hold on. Never, Lord. God, he basically says, to, get this, to Jesus. He says, God forbid. <laughs> God forbid. He says, this shall never happen to you. You've seen me with a sword lately? There's no way this is going to happen. Now, see, it's so hard to read these things without adding what we already know. We know the rest of the story. So I'm going to beg you 
to do what most of us males can do pretty easily, and that's forget half of what you know. <laughs> I want you to forget that you know all that. Forget that you know the end of the story. Lord, this is a bad plan. People are coming. They're coming from all over. People are listening. You are rocking this thing. This is a bad plan to get yourself crucified. And Jesus responds in a way that we would not expect. Ah, oh, Peter. Silly knucklehead Peter. No, Jesus says, it says, and Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. The word is actually a trap. You're setting a trap for me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely of merely human concerns. Peter goes from being a rock star to being rock bottom. I'm going to suggest that being called Satan by Jesus is a low spot. <laughs> That's strong. In fact, the wording reminds us of just how Jesus talked to Satan during his temptation. In fact, I think that's intentional. Jesus is basically saying, you know what? Been here, done this before. Get behind me, Satan. Now, if it weren't for the fact that we also know the story of how Peter conducts himself after Jesus' crucifixion, we would think this would be the low point in his life. <laughs> but there's a rung that's lower, and he's going to get there. But I want you to imagine how Peter felt. I mean, all those disciples heard him say, you're the Messiah. I'm thinking a lot of those people heard what Jesus had to say here too. What do you say? I've been called out on the carpet a few times, a few times that were public. You're just stunned. Peter is stunned. So I just want to ask a question this morning before we come to the Lord's table. What was it in, what do you think Peter was thinking of? What was he envisioning for their future that would cause him to say, Lord, this is a terrible idea. And in general, killing off your leader is a bad plan to move a movement forward. So what was he thinking? We can only imagine, right? Maybe... So, first of all, Jesus doesn't get crucified. Instead, he keeps healing and he keeps teaching. And more and more people hear him. And more and more people begin to follow him. And then after a while, even the leaders of their nation become convinced of who he is. And they start listening and obeying him. And then their nation, Israel, starts to do exactly what God said. They begin to reach out to other nations around the globe. And slowly but surely, they'd win the whole world to this movement. And Jesus is their leader. Think of what the world would be like. No more war. No more sickness and disease. No more clown sightings. <laughs> He 
go to work. You come home. Everybody is safe. Everybody has what they need. Your neighbors are nice. Your kids obey. Your spouse obeys. And you could gather with other people just like yourself. And it would be so nice. You'd sing songs. And you'd greet each other. Hey, hey, be great. Hear, hear little messages remembering what Jesus said. Yay. You go home thinking, boy, that was nice. You go back to your nice life. What was, what was Peter imagining? Don't get crucified. Instead, Jesus nails it. You're thinking human, not God. Can you kind of understand, though, where Peter was coming from? Sure. And, and when we think about where his probable vision of the future went, his preferable future, it actually sounds a lot like the preferable future that we would write. What would you like to happen here at Crossroads? Oh, well, we reach more people. More people keep coming. We just have to keep expanding more ministries. We keep touching lives. They say, oh, this is great. Why are you such good people? It's because of Jesus. Oh, I want to join. And it just, right? Wouldn't it be? Isn't that? If you were to close your eyes right now and envision a preferable future, it would be a lot like probably what Peter had in mind. And so here's the point. It's possible that Jesus' rebuke of Peter is a rebuke for us. Where do you get off, Mike, thinking that you know better than me? Oh, wait, I, I, thought, I thought I knew what we were supposed to be doing here. We're, we're, we're reaching and we're blessing. We're teaching and... You see... If you've trusted Jesus as, as your Savior, then you want other people to hear that message and trust him too. If you're here, by the way, and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, we want you to hear that message, that when Jesus died, he died to make a payment for our sin. The things that were separating you from God, he paid for. And now he offers eternal life as a gift. He's offering it to you today. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, could I suggest that today would be a really good day? What would stop you? I know I'm a sinner, and I know I don't get God's approval, but it never dawned on me that Jesus died for me. Jesus, if you died for me, I'd be a fool to pass that up. Thank you for dying for me. I want to trust you as my Savior. We want people to know that. And if we've been blessed by the grace of God, we want his kingdom to come. We want these things to happen. See, there's nothing wrong with what we want sometimes, but the way we think we're going to get there, that can be the challenge. Because none of us would paint crucifixion into our future. except for perhaps Jesus. 
Jesus went on. He said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross. And the, the wording is really daily. It's a regular habit. Take up their cross and follow me. So I guess what we want to do before we come to the Lord's table today, because you see, it's a little awkward to imagine coming to these elements and vividly remembering his death for us so that he could redeem us, so that he could call us to follow him when actually we have not been doing anything he told us to do. It's a little awkward. How would that be for a direct report? Sir, how are you? Good. Have a seat, Mike. Good. So how's it been going? Great. Great. I gave you some instructions last meeting. How have you been doing? Haven't done any of them. Okay, gee, well, what happened? I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, can you explain to me why you haven't done it? I haven't even tried. I haven't tried. <laughs> well, there's a reason why I asked you to do these things. I know, but I think I had a better idea. Yeah. A better idea? Wow. Great. Well, it's been nice having you here, Mike. Right? Can you imagine in these few minutes you're going to sit down across the table from Jesus? He's going to say, I died for you so that you could know me and follow me. But in order to follow me, you too have to be ready to die. And you're going, thank you, no way. Huh? No, I know, I'm not doing that part. But anyway, it's good to see you, though. <laughs> thanks, thanks for dying for me, by the way. <laughs> yeah, die for, die, me die over my dead, well, no. <sighs> kind of awkward, it's kind of an awkward conversation we're going to have. You see, we have an idea about what we think our future should look like. Every one of you do. And I, I could probably guess what some of the things are included in there, because I have the same things. We have an idea of what the future looks like. When Jesus says, if we're going to follow him, we must deny ourselves, he's not saying, deny yourself both Twinkies in the pack. <laughs> By the way, the desserts at the men's retreat, killer. <laughs> Killer. I thought of every one of you ladies as we dug this, this fudgy, hot, fudgy thing out of those cups. That was like, it made your teeth hurt. Like, oh, man, it was amazing. I guess you'll have to go. So, Jesus says if we're going to follow him, we must give up our plan of our future. I'll tell you how we usually react. Well, yeah, I suppose, I mean, because eventually something happens that we can't help. I mean, stuff happens, you know. I mean, the guy hit my car. I mean, so see, that wasn't in my plan. That is not what Jesus is talking about. He's not saying, oh, a few things might happen that you are not expecting. He's saying, stop steering it. Whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. I mean, I'm supposed to steer my life. Not if you're following me. Deny yourself rights to direct this thing. Well, that's really irresponsible. In fact, the only way to do it responsibly is to start every morning. <sighs> okay, God, today my life is yours. I'm going to go to work and I'm going to do the things I'm supposed to do unless you say otherwise. But whatever you bring today, it's your call. 
I'm your servant. I'm following you. Hey, honey, just want to let you know, they let me go today. What? God, where are you? The disciple says, ah, Jesus got me fired. <laughs> I can't wait to see why. But nothing in my life happens by accident. And just this morning, I said, you do whatever you want. And he is. I can prove it because it's not what I wanted. And it's fine because he is leading me. And I have denied the right to claim my future. Deny myself. Take up my cross. It's hard to imagine what the cross looked like to the disciples before Jesus went to the cross. It was a heinous thing. Take up your cross would be, and we've talked about this before, like take your hangsman noose, take your electric chair, like your guillotine, like yuck, this is disgusting. The idea is you carry around the cyanide pill. You know that he died for you and you are ready at any moment to die for him. The life you're living now is only here because he died for you. You're on borrowed time, purchased with his life. See, it's kind of like when, before we got saved, we, we were all, imagine you're in a car. Your life is a car. Unfortunately, because of sin, your car was damaged. It only goes in reverse. Your car only drives in reverse. Everything you do takes you further from where God wanted you to go. Right? And the, the faster you go, the further away you go. And finally you realize, I'm getting nowhere. And you say, Jesus, help me. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up in the car. He's in the driver's seat. He does some clinking around. And you say, what are you doing? And so I'm installing a clutch. Now, for the first time, you can put this thing in drive and move forward toward what God wants. No way. Yep. I'm, let me clean the windshield here. Now you can see where you're going. Before it didn't matter. Now you can go forward. So there you go, Mike. And I get in, I go, this is amazing. <laughs> what are you doing? What do you mean? What are you doing? Oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. It goes forward. <laughs> neat. And yeah, that's neat. That's really neat. Thank you. Yeah. Right? And, and because it's such a habit, I think we have to think of the cross. I want you to imagine, forget that it's wood. I want you to imagine that it's metal, like mesh metal. And our lives are like the mud that's around us. And, and constantly we're taking our lives and we're kind of smooshing it through that cross. And all the stuff, most of the stuff goes through except those big chunks and rocks. It sifts those things out. The cross is constantly sifting our decisions, our priorities, our plans. Taking up your cross means regularly evaluating what's happening in your life and what you're going to do next by the fact that Jesus died for you, it's all his, you're on borrowed time anyway. And then he says, follow me. So the danger for us is to think that we are pursuing what Jesus meant by discipleship when all along we're actually pursuing what's best for us. Which is why Jesus says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Should we just stop there? 
This is hyperbole, right? It's a metaphor, right? I mean, because everybody knows there's nothing really wrong with saving your life. I don't, think, I don't think this is hyperbole at all. What comes most natural to every one of us? Promoting ourselves. Promoting our life, Jesus says. And guess what? If you do that, he says, you will lose it. I can prove it. Look through our culture at the people who are successful at promoting themselves. They got all kinds of stuff, all kinds of privileges, all kinds of power, and they are not happy people. They're not worthy people. If you buy that line and pursue that, you will lose your life. But whoever loses their life for me will find it again. What good is it if you, for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? So here's our challenge today. Will you keep, and I hate to say this because like, I know I'm, 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 I'm one of the pastors here. Like, I, kinda ha- I influence what we do, and at the same time I want to say, are we going to keep playing church? And keep coming and feeling good about coming, kind of feel closer to God. They don't always sing the songs I like, but you know, they sing some, and everybody's so happy, and it just feels good. And hmm. I'm going to suggest that that almost not at all is what Jesus was pointing toward. He was pointing toward something that's maybe you come scurrying in here. Okay, let's, I, need, I, need, I, I, I need something. Here we go, because it's rough out there. I don't know how much time I, I've got. This could be my last time in church. If Jesus called me, so bring it. It's like, oh, God's so good, and you're just soaking up. I was like, okay, here I go. I may never see you again this side of heaven. You know, off you go. Is that the sense of mission? Or we're, we're an audience. Boy, Mike and Jim and Nick, they're fun to watch, aren't they? They're, they're neat. I, they, just, they just doesn't encourage me, you know, I just... Uh, So hear Jesus' warning, because in a minute, you're going to talk to him. You're going to have to look him in the eye, and you have to explain, what are you doing? I invited you to follow me. And we go, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not following. Huh? Well, I ask you to bless what I'm doing every day. There you go. Try asking me what I want for you today. So this is a challenge that's so deep. But I think Paul got to it, and this, this we're going to close. I think Paul captured it when he wrote to the church in Galatia, Galatians 2.20. Uh, many of you have memorized this, and the rest of you should memorize this. Uh, I'm going to read it because I mes- memorized it in a different version, right? In fact, let's read it together. You ready? I've been crucified with Christ. Longer live, but Christ lives in me, and the life I now live in the body, I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for I've been crucified with Christ, yet I live. Nevertheless, not I, but Christ lives in me, and the life that I now live in the faith in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the motto of those who are not fans. That's the motto of those who are followers.
He'll love you either way. But he's called you to follow. It would be a shame for you to come to Crossroads and think by being here, you're following. But you don't need me to tell you that. I have a hunch in the next few minutes, Jesus will tell you himself. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.